In May 2016, I took a trip to Zurich. I joined executives from all over Europe, the U.S. and Canada who were there to talk about Iran. For years, Iran was isolated from the rest of the world. Foreign companies had serious limitations around doing business there, which meant that often they did no business there at all. But that changed in 2015. Today, after two years of negotiations, the United States, together with our international partners, has achieved something that decades of animosity has not. A comprehensive long-term deal with Iran that will prevent it from obtaining a nuclear weapon. Sanctions were lifted in January last year. When the sanctions were lifted, uh, then we started um, really having a lot of excitement uh, inside the whole startup world. This is Fatih Amir Soleimani, founder of Kudaku, an online retailer selling baby products. I first met Fatih at that gathering of executives in Zurich. I saw her again in September. Her story stayed with me because the end of sanctions was a big deal for Iranian startup founders. We were finally going to access some real funding sources. And so we had a lot of meetings with foreign investors who were really excited with this country. Fatih thought the lifting of sanctions would mark a turning point for the growth of her business and the broader tech industry in Iran. At the time, Kudaku was talking to a Swiss fund about a potential investment of a million dollars. But just as the sanctions lifted, one presidential candidate halfway around the world was attacking the deal. The Iranians are very good negotiators. The Persians are always great negotiators. They are laughing at us back in Iran. I would have made a deal not from desperation. I would have doubled and tripled up the sanctions, and I would have made a much better deal. Of course, this candidate went on to win the U.S. presidency, and his victory spooked a lot of potential foreign investors in Iran like the Swiss investors Fatih was talking to. It took a while. It took a few months before uh, it really, you could really feel that uh, the interest uh, had dried out. Now, things might get even worse, as President Trump has stuck with the hardline approach that he promised and tensions between the U.S. and Iran have escalated. Any day now, Trump could trigger a series of events that would cause the U.S. to reimpose sanctions, and that could isolate Iran from the world once again. I'm Aki Ito. And I'm Ladan Nasseri. And this week on Decrypted, we're taking a look at Iran and what the rising political tensions could mean for the country's budding tech scene. In recent years, Iran has been helped by a more moderate political leader, President Hassan Rouhani, who was elected in 2013. Then came the nuclear deal and the lifting of sanctions. These changes have fostered a more open business climate and Iran has seen dozens of startups appear, some of them even getting funding from international investors. But if the U.S. chooses to reimpose sanctions, a lot could change. And that would have wide-ranging implications for ordinary Iranians who've just gotten used to life in a digital economy. So the entrepreneur Fatih is Iranian but spent most of her life abroad. She grew up in France, went to Columbia Business School, and worked in mergers and acquisitions at Morgan Stanley in London. Then in 2009, she took time off from Morgan Stanley to have a baby. 
during that time, I traveled to Iran a few times uh, and had the difficult experience of trying to find baby products for my kid. You have the huge traffic inside the city. Uh, there's a lot of small shops. In France, she said, most of the retail space was organized retail. But in Iran, it was the opposite. 70 to 80 percent were mom and pop shops. And Fatih was used to shopping online, but she soon discovered that wasn't really an option in Tehran. Iran's economy mostly had been closed to the world for a decade. As a result, there was very little money from outside investors to fund startups. And companies like Amazon, Facebook, and Twitter were blocked. And, you know, Tehran is a gigantic city of 12 million. North Tehran is at the foothills of the Alborz Mountains, with its cooler temperatures and cleaner air, it's where the more affluent choose to live. The more south you go, though, and the more dense, busy, and polluted the city becomes. A 12-mile avenue links north to south Tehran. But here's the thing. Despite highways, dedicated bus lines, and efficient subway lines, downtown Tehran is still often jammed with cars and hijacked by smog. In Iran for hundreds of years, commercial life has been focused around the bazaar, which is this marketplace of merchant family businesses. You realize that this retail space is very fragmented and there's a lot of small shops and no major organized retail, right? So my first reaction was to think, okay, this market has to be consolidated. Fatih wasn't the only one to see the huge opportunity for technology to organize and expand Iran's retail sector. I've been reporting stories from Iran for more than a decade, and in the last two to three years alone, I've seen some drastic changes. A couple years ago, the Tehran startup scene was still a phenomenon on the margins, with a handful of VCs and a bunch of young Iranian founders. Now the impact of the tech community is much more visible. Some notable startups include Snap, which is Iran's version of Uber, and Dishikala, which is kind of like the local Amazon. These companies have become part of everyday life in the capital. For example, I spoke to one of the security guards at a shopping center in central Tehran. His name is Reza Hassani, and he lives in Karaj, just outside the capital. Before, he would use a combination of buses and metro to make it to work. With Snap, he treats himself sometimes because it's half the price of a normal cab. Most people around me use it. My dad, my brothers, my sisters, my aunts, whoever I suggested it to, they're using it. Whoever I suggested it to, they're happy with it. My parents use Snap. They have learned the first couple times was difficult, but I kept showing them, and now they're easy with it. Reza showed me his phone so I could see the itineraries he had saved on his parents' phone. It has an option. You choose that and it saves the trips you take. So I saved for them Route 1 and 2 and 3. My house, my brother's house, my younger brother's house, my sister's house. My mom used to say, what is this electronic world? What are these mobile phones in the hand of kids? But since I've showed her Snap, she says this one thing at least is good. She's happy with it.
So you have ordinary Iranians getting familiar with the convenience of technology. Iran is also a country of 80 million, and some 70% are under the age of 35. What Fatih also saw was a lot of people potentially interested in baby products. For me, um, the, the opportunity in this retail market were, were huge. Um, and I was ready to take a chance uh, to go back in the country and maybe build, I mean, build uh, a, an e-commerce uh, company. Fatih had lived most of her life abroad. She looked for a partner who knew the country and the culture. When Fatih called me with the idea, and I just could not resist working with her and the idea because we both already had our first children. This is Ladan Golshani, who happens to have the same name as me. She's Fatih's business partner. We knew the hassles moms had to go through, shopping with a little kid, uh, driving in traffic of Tehran for hours um, with a screaming child at the back. At the time, in 2012, Iran was still under sanctions. President Rouhani wasn't in power yet. Iran had limits on its oil exports. Its banking system was cut off from the international payment system, SWIFT. And few Western companies were involved. And that was taking its toll on the economy. Inflation peaked at 40%, GDP was shrinking, and the national currency had lost a third of its value compared to the dollar. It was, it was a big question to know if we were actually going to launch the product or not because um, the prices were fluctuating so uh, quickly. I mean, the prices of product tripled uh, during that year, right? So uh, being an internet e-commerce-based uh, company, uh, you always had to have the updated prices on, on the website. We would have needed to change the prices every two weeks on 4,000, 5,000 products. So obviously, that's a really tough environment in which to launch a startup. The election of President Rouhani changed everything. The election of Hassan Rouhani may have come as a surprise to many who thought this election would be much more fragmented, but it's not a surprise to so many of his supporters. They voted for change. They voted for hope. And although it's a little bit early, they're already saying goodbye to the current president, Mahmoud As soon as he was elected in 2013, he made it clear that priorities were to stabilize the currency market, control inflation, and negotiate with world powers to get the sanctions lifted. Prices started stabilizing around 2013, and uh, we started getting signals from the market in 2013 that basically things were uh, settling down, that the market was getting more uh, stable, and on the other side, that the customers were back into, I mean, customer confidence was higher and they were back into purchasing products. And that's basically when we started to launch the, uh, the, the business. In Iran in 2013, e-commerce was still a novel concept. Fatih and Ladan were trying to work with importers, including the Bazaar, which, remember, is the powerful traditional marketplace. We had a very tough first year. And the problem was getting the suppliers to trust us to have their products um, being sold online. They did not want to sell or create a competition for their physical shops. So basically it took us a while to try and educate them, to take them through the whole concept of marketplace and what's happening internationally uh, with e-commerce businesses. In a way, those traditional business owners turned out to be right. E-commerce websites have created competition for their main businesses. The market is going in that direction. Instagram businesses, e-commerce, it's going towards internet market. I really think Digicala sells as much as this entire shopping center. That's how much they sell. 
This is Khashoyer Bobai, a salesman in a computer accessories shop. And the company he referred to, Digicolo, is the big online retailer in Iran, sort of like Amazon. Khashoyer says he often has kids walk into his shop ask about the price of something, and say it's cheaper to buy this on Dijakala. We are businessmen. We don't want the customer to leave the shop. Sometimes we have even sold a product without making a profit, just so the customer doesn't leave empty-handed. We have no choice. we got to compete. Khashoyer says even though they own the shop and have been in business forever, Dijikala has become a nuisance to them. I think in a few years people won't even shop like this, like come and walk around here in the shopping center. But then Khashoyer told me he shops online himself. I bought a shaver once. It's not bad at all, to be honest. You sit at home, drink your cup of tea, choose your product. They send it home and even above a certain price, it's free delivery. Yes, why not, unfortunately. When you ask Iran's tech founders about the various challenges they face, the one issue they all talk about is access to funding. Fatih and Ladan launched Kudaku with their own money in 2013. And two years later, they started looking for their first infusion of cash. It seemed like a good time. That year, the nuclear deal went through, which meant that the sanctions were going to be lifted. After the Iran deal, Things changed. A lot of foreign investors got very serious uh, about Iran and they started looking into the market. We were receiving weekly, on a weekly basis, phone calls and emails. Fatih and Ladan had plans. They wanted to boost their marketing and partnerships with local hospitals. They hoped to expand into accessories for women and home decoration. But they had no idea that the business climate was about to change. Okay, so let's fast forward to 2016. The nuclear deal had been agreed to, the sanctions were mostly gone, and Fatih and Ladan were fielding all kinds of calls from foreign investors who wanted to learn more about their business. Some of these investors had even sent them term sheets, which is this document outlining the terms of investment. It's what gets the ball rolling for the two sides to sign a final agreement. For Fatih and Lodan, it wasn't just their money that they were excited about. And the foreign investors are the ones that actually understand what it takes for an e-commerce business to scale. The money requirements uh, and also uh, other uh, restrictions and requirements that are uh, needed for an e-commerce business to uh, become the Amazon and DigiColors of this world. But then Trump got elected and what seemed like these done deals fell apart foreign investors opted to wait in this new world of uncertainty. <laughs> when you're an entrepreneur, uh, being an entrepreneur is a roller coaster. So <laughs> you have, uh, <laughs> you have uh, down moments and up moments all the time, right? It's a real roller coaster. Today, Fatih and Ladan are in talks with local investors. They said they've had to scale back their ambitions, but they are confident that they'll be able to raise enough to keep going. It's not just Fatih and Ladan who are struggling in this new climate. Take, for example, Ali Reza Sadegian. He returned to Iran in 2011 at the height of sanctions to launch NetBag, a bargain site similar to Groupon. 
we were seeing the world and uh, you could see that this, this thing is going to happen sometime. I mean, it was clear, I think, to the people who, who believed in this industry that this is going to happen sometime. We didn't know when. Today, Ali Reza is at the head of an umbrella company that includes five startups, including Netbark. The nuclear deal, which lifted the sanctions, helped his business grow. There was this wave of pioneers coming to Iran. They thought Iran is going to change drastically. Ali Reza says he contacted a German fund that had made an investment in a partner company a year and a half ago. But after Trump's election, the answer was different. I'm not sure. Let me think about it. I think Trump's uh, administration had uh, some negative effects in uh, the people's hope of things going much more faster. He's a very uncertain person. I mean, you cannot predict his behavior for the next week. So that, and the companies who want to come to Iran, they want to look at their next 10 years. So when uh, they see that there is this uncertainty, they will have more doubts. And if you're not totally sure where the sanctions stand at the moment, you're not the only one. There have been new twists to the story every day. Right now, the sanctions that were lifted with the signing of the nuclear deal still remain lifted. But that might not last long. Most recently, Trump went to the UN to try to convince US allies to renegotiate the nuclear agreement. European leaders didn't budge, insisting on keeping with the original deal. And Iran has said it can walk away from the agreement if other countries push for renegotiations too. Trump now faces an impending deadline. He has to decide whether to declare that Iran has been complying with the terms of the nuclear agreement. If he says that Iran has not complied, the U.S. Congress would have 60 days to consider imposing back sanctions on Iran. And even putting aside these fundraising concerns, building a startup in Iran presents its own set of challenges. For example, Facebook and Twitter are banned in Iran, although many officials use them and it's easy to get hold of VPNs. And even though most of the sanctions are still lifted, there are some that remain. That's meant that Iranians can't access cloud providers like Amazon Web Services, which makes things particularly hard for internet startups there. More recently, Apple decided to remove some Iranian apps, citing trade sanctions enforced by the U.S. Office of Foreign Assets Control. And that included some of the popular apps like Snap, the ride-hailing app we mentioned earlier. The mistake that I think most of the business people make about Iran, they want the uh, a good safety. That's Ali Reza again. We have learned in business school that when you have a high risk, you have a high return. When there is a low risk, you, uh, you have a low return. So you cannot have a high return and a low risk. Uh, Iran is a high risk, high return country, and uh, we believe in, in its potential. It's this mentality that has prompted many Iranians like Fatih and Ali Reza to return to Iran and share their knowledge. When I look at what was the sort of pool of talent and the amount of information which existed in, in all the people like four years ago, compared to now, there has been much more uh, training uh, and talent in, in the country. So when people come, they bring even if they start their own company, they start training other people inside their company. And these people will go to other companies and the, the, the information is shared slowly. The government of Iran's centrist president, Hassan Rouhani, has been supportive of the tech industry. 
It's under Rouhani that 3G and 4G internet appeared and expanded. Before that, the internet was very slow. Rouhani's government has also invited Iranians abroad to bring their creativity and ideas back to their own country. I met a guy called Mohammad Reza Azali. He runs the Tech Rasa website in Iran, which he likes to refer to as the Iranian Tech Crunch. And he said he and his colleagues regularly receive emails from Iranians studying or working abroad. They are assessing the market to try and be persuaded that this is a good place to come back to. Because abroad the market is already mature, the chance to stay there, set up a successful startup is very low. Here the space is untouched. Many are seeing this and want to do something. Of course, whether these Iranians abroad actually come back home depends on what happens to the nuclear deal and the sanctions and how foreign investors and executives respond. For now, many European companies, including multinationals like Total and Siemens, have taken chances on Iran. But if the U.S. reapplies some of the economic sanctions on Iran, that could really put international investors off. Sanctions come with a lot of rules for companies that still want to do business with that country. And most people don't want the hassle of having to comply with such a complicated set of laws. In the meantime, for Fatih and Ladan, it's about taking it one step at a time. This kind of setback uh, forces you to become better, right? And to uh, become more lean and make your company more efficient, right? To to become successful, right? So I think um, that's where we're standing today. We might see setbacks in the next um, three or four years, three years, I would say, but that doesn't matter. We're, as Iranians, we're, we don't look into um, uh, ups and downs and changes short term because we've had a lot of, <laughs> uh, we've had a roller coaster of changes in the country, but we usually have more of a long term um, prospect. So I'm very hopeful. And that's it for this week's episode of Decrypted. Thanks for listening. Before we let you go, just a quick note on last week's episode about Stan's sock company. We said that Randy Sheckler is the CTO of Stan's, but in fact, he oversees quality assurance. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. You can email us at decrypted at bloomberg.net or I'm on Twitter at Ladan Nasseri. And I'm at Aki Ito 7. If you haven't already, please take a moment to rate and review our show. It's the best way to help us get the show in front of new listeners. This episode was produced by Pia Gatkari, Liz Smith, and Magnus Henriksen. We'll see you next week. Thank you.